Again, good morning. If you have a Bible, I would love for you to make your way to Deuteronomy 6. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the pew rack, and that passage is found on page 151. So this morning, we're going to begin a series on the Apostles' Creed. Now, don't, don't fear uh, our last series took us a year and two months. This will only take us about 12 weeks, so you can, you can uh, buckle in, but we'll, it'll be a shorter ride. Uh, I've been looking forward to this series for quite some time, and last week I shared a couple of book recommendations with you. If you're so inclined and want to read along or get a little more depth to the sermons, uh, this book, Rooted the Apostles' Creed, is a great introduction to the Apostles' Creed. It's written by a couple of PCA pastors. And I think we have a couple more copies available at the Resource Center, so you can pick one up if you'd like. And then this one is uh, a little more scholarly. It's got a little more depth to it, What Christians Ought to Believe. Um, it's about the Apostles' Creed. It's by Michael Bird. We don't have copies of it available, but you can pick one up on Amazon, I think. Is the pretty, it, it's kind of hard to find, but you can, you can grab one there if, you're, if you'd like. Deuteronomy 6. Let's pray. And then we're going to read this morning verses 1 through 12. That'll be our text. Heavenly Father, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word remains forever. Your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, your word works. It is uh, not magical, but it's certainly mysterious. The way that when we submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture, and when the Spirit who is alive and goes before and works within the reading and preaching of Scripture. Uh, it is a mystery how you uh, show us our sin and bring about conviction and repentance and help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, Lord, you do all of that um, for us as a gift of grace, and you do so through your means of grace. And so work this morning, I pray, for your glory and for our good. Uh, help me to be clear and help this to be uh, good food for us as we look at the creed and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. This is God's holy word. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you 
with great and good cities that you did not build, and the houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is God's holy word, and may he write it upon our hearts. So the reason that I, I chose Deuteronomy 6 to introduce this series on the Apostles' Creed is because Deuteronomy 6 contains the Shema, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema is one of the oldest creeds uh, known to man. The Shema illustrates that God's people have have long used, have, have almost always used simple creeds to remember who God is and what they believe. And so this passage, the, the Shema, that, that the, the people of Israel were called to speak about in the mornings and when they lie down at night, to talk about them with their children and to bind them to their hearts and to wear them upon their bodies. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is a creedal statement. Um, that God's people were given. Now, before I unpack a few thoughts from Deuteronomy 6 and then try to make a connection to the Apostles' Creed, I want to take just a few moments this morning and, and talk with you about the value of creeds. The value of, of creeds and, and this creed, the Apostles' Creed in particular. So I grew up in an independent Baptist church, uh, and I never knew the Apostles' Creed. Uh, it, was, it was sort of a historic footnote. I think I learned about it probably in Western civilization or some history class. It wouldn't have been Western civilization, but some history class, I'm sure it was uh, mentioned. But in the church that I grew up, we, we didn't recite it. Uh, it was never printed for us in the bulletin. My pastor certainly never preached a sermon series on it. And, and I'm willing to bet that some of you come from similar traditions, similar churches uh, where the creed is little more than a footnote. But the funny thing is, everyone has a creed, whether they acknowledge it or not. Everyone has a creed because a creed is just a statement of what a person believes. And some say, well, I, I believe the Bible. No creed but Christ. I only believe Scripture. And that's, that's wonderful. We, we believe in the Reformation principle of sola scriptura, that our only rule for faith and life is, is God's Word, is Scripture. But the problem is we, we Presbyterians believe the Bible, and so do our Baptist brothers, and so do our Methodist sisters, and so do the Mormons, and so do Jehovah's Witnesses, and so do a host of quasi-Christian cults. A, a lot of people say they believe the Bible, but obviously, we believe a lot of different things about the Bible, don't we? And so you then have to ask, well, what do you believe about the Bible? You say you believe the Bible. What do you believe about it? What do you believe the Bible is primarily about? What does it teach us and tell us? And whenever you begin to answer those questions, you've entered the territory of confessions and creeds. So, so a, a lot of people say they believe the Bible, but then when you drill down into that, what do you believe about it? What do you believe its overarching message is? What do you believe are the, the principal parts of it? What, what has God given 
uh, Scripture to us for? What does it communicate? When you begin to answer those questions, then you're taking a position and you're entering the territory of confessions and creeds. Again, I want you to understand as we enter this 12-week series, the Bible alone is divinely inspired. It is God's Word. And every creed and every confession, our own Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, here on Ash Wednesday, we use the Heidelberg Catechism, another Reformed uh, confession. Uh, All of those are subordinate to Scripture. And yet, there's value there. Because the Apostles' Creed tells us the story of Scripture and what parts of that story story are most important. The, The Apostles' Creed is a statement that connects us historically to those who have gone before us. Did you see that statement by Michael Byrd in the beginning of your bulletin? That it's, it's somewhat arrogant of us, it's somewhat presumptuous of us to say, well, well we, we have no place for the creed. We have no uh, place for locking arms with those who have gone before us, but the creed does that. It, it binds us historically with those of the New Testament era, with the church fathers, with the reformers. The Apostles' Creed is a statement of faith for all Christians, regardless of time, regardless of place, regardless of particular differences. The Apostles' Creed keeps us rooted in Scripture. It keeps us from becoming disconnected from historic Christian doctrine. Some have, uh, some have described the Apostles' Creed as the Christian Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, the, the pledge of allegiance. I don't know if kids still say this in school. Do you kids? Do you guys say that in school? Yes? No? Maybe so? Um, it's a statement of loyalty. It's a statement of allegiance. It's, it's recited by those who were born in this country or those who've become citizens by immigrating to this country. Uh, it's, it's this unifying statement because people in the Northeast and people in the Southwest and people in the Rust Belt and people in the Great Plains and maybe even those from Texas... Do they still say the Pledge of Allegiance? They say the Texas Pledge, too, as well. They say both. The Pledge of Allegiance, it's a statement of unity in the midst of our diversity. And the Apostles' Creed, in a sense, for those of us who claim Christ, is that as well. It's a statement of unity in the midst of our diversity. Others, others have described the Apostles' Creed as the spark notes of the Bible. There are, depending on which translation you use, there are anywhere between 780,000 words in the English Bible, up to a million. Uh, So the Apostles' Creed takes the million words of the Bible and boils it down to 115 essential words. The Apostles' Creed doesn't say everything that could be said, but it says everything that must be confessed. And Christians for for centuries and millennia have used creeds. There are even creeds in Scripture. Uh, The earliest creed, in fact, uh, Ted read one earlier. Uh, The the creed that Ted read, he appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up into glory. That was one of the creeds that Paul uh, taught to the people in the churches that he planted. Some of the earliest creeds that we have in Scripture were very simple, very short. They focused on Jesus' death and resurrection. 
And so by the middle uh, of the first century, Christians were reciting creedal statements. You find examples of this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 Corinthians 5, Romans 14. In those passages, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 14, you find this creedal statement. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Very short, very simple. And so if you were to ask one of the Christians in one of the churches that Paul planted, what do you believe? We believe that Jesus died and rose again. If you were here last week, we looked at uh, Philippians, and there in Philippians 2 is another creedal statement. It's called the Christ hymn. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. You see how it's telling a story. It's telling the person and work of Jesus. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, given him a name above all names, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just this simple statement of belief centering on Christ. And, and so you have, you have creeds going back, to, uh, even pre-Deuteronomy 6, but that was the most common for the people of Israel, the Shema. Simple statements of, of what they believe and of who God is. You have them being included in the New Testament writings, uh, simple reminders to the Christians there of, of what they believe about the most important things. So how did we get the Apostles' Creed? What is its origin? Well, legend has it that 10 days after Jesus' ascension, the apostles were sitting around, I like to imagine, in a circle. And uh, Peter said, you know, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And then John said, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And they went around the circle until they had, until they had drafted the creed. That's a great story, but it is only a story. No basis whatsoever in actual historical events. Uh, the creed was not, it was not written by the apostles. In fact, we don't, we don't know who wrote it. More than likely, it was written by many people over, over many years. In fact, the earliest, the earliest um, draft of what we call the Apostles' Creed dates back to the middle of the second century. So that's around 150, uh, the year A.D. 150. Uh, and the reason we call it the Apostles' Creed is because Christ instructed the apostles in those things that were, that were uh, crucial for life and faith in Him. The apostles instructed their disciples. And what we have now, through the testimony of Scripture, by the hand of apostles, is apostolic. It's apostolic doctrine. And so, the, the early church, if you were here for our series in Acts... Uh, the early church was largely Jewish. Most of the early converts were Jewish converts, and, and they continued to recite the Shema. There's nothing, there's nothing uh, Old Testament about the Shema, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus reiterates that when asked what the greatest commandment in the law is. So these Jewish converts would would continue to recite that. But as the church grew and more and more Gentiles came to faith, they didn't have an Old Testament background. The Shema didn't mean anything to them, and they needed a way of understanding the story of Scripture. 
How do we understand and make sense and confess who God is, what Jesus has done, and where the world is headed? And so, uh, Irenaeus, writing in the middle of the second century, so around 150 AD, he said that Christians need a simple statement so that little children and illiterate barbarians know what we believe and what to confess. And isn't that the beauty of the Apostles' Creed? We're going to be saying it every other week for the next 12 weeks as we come to the Lord's, as we come to the table. And, and, and uh, I remember, again, being unfamiliar with it, have not being taught it, uh, not using it as part of our liturgy in the church that I grew up, and not really looking and reciting the Apostles' Creed until uh, really post-seminary and becoming uh, a Presbyterian pastor. But my children who've grown up in the Presbyterian church have known this creedal statement that I learned as an adult, that they learned as children. And it's this unifying statement. It doesn't matter if you're a little child or if you have no educational background whatsoever, that we can confess together this simple, uh, concise statement. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And we continue with the person and work of Jesus. And so early versions of the creed, we, we have uh, evidence dating back to the middle of the, uh, the second century, but really the, the creed as we know it was finalized um, in, the, uh, in the fourth century. When folks join Christ's Pres, we'll, we'll see an example of this in a number of weeks, when they join Christ's Pres, they stand before the congregation and they take vows. Uh, those vows are not they're not from Scripture. They're, they're derived from Scripture, but they're not in the Bible. Um, I, when I'll ask them, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving His wrath and without hope, saving His sovereign mercy, do you? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that He's the Son of God and Savior of sinners, and do you receive and rest upon Him? It's like droning on. I've recited it so many times that I remember it. The Apostles' Creed was a a uh, membership vow. It was, it was used in Rome by the year 250 as a baptismal vow. So we have historical documents so that if I were uh, joining the church as a new convert there in Rome, at least going back to the year 215, and I were standing before the people and they were asking me, do you commit yourself to Christ and to this people? The Apostles' Creed was used in the same way that our vows are used. It was used as a uh, public profession of faith. A couple more thoughts before we get to Deuteronomy 6. Did you know that creeds are almost always um, a product of false teaching that comes about in the church? Did you know that, that creeds, their, their origin story, um, they, they are almost always a product of heresy and false teaching, and most of that centers on Jesus. So we didn't print, we will in the coming weeks when we start next week with the phrase, I believe in God the Father Almighty. This is an intro to all of that. But next week, along with the scripture passages that we'll print, we'll print the Apostles' Creed in the bulletin for you. Um, but, but those of you who know it, did you know that 80% of it is about Jesus? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We have God the Father. It's very Trinitarian, right? And at the very end, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins. But the 80% body, the bulk of it, is about Christ, the person and work of Jesus. And the reason so much of it centers on Christ is because so many times false teaching and, and heresy that creeps into the church is, is about Christ. So as an example of that, the, the Nicene Creed, 
I think both of these are actually in your hymnal if you wanted to pull, you don't have to pull it out, but you could look at it, and they're in the back there, I'm pretty sure. But the Nicene Creed, which uh, was written in the early 4th century, it came about because of the heresy of Arianism. And the, the issues of the day were whether or not Jesus was truly man and truly God. Whether Jesus is equal in power and substance to the Father or whether he is a created being. And so um, they coined the phrase that, that Christ is homoousia, that he is of the same substance as God, that all three members of the Trinity are the same substance and essence. And the Nicene Creed, if you were to read it, it's very similar to the Apostles' Creed, but then it goes into a lot more detail about the person and work of Jesus. So if creeds came about because of false teaching and heresy, do, do we still need them? I mean, that's all like Middle Ages stuff, right? I mean, you know, Arianism and Gnosticism and um, all those things, that's, 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 we're so far beyond that. Those were those early primitive Christians. It, friends, if you believe that we no longer deal with Christocentric heresies and false teaching, you'd be wrong. Uh, several weeks ago, Jason got tangled up with a man via Facebook. Only Jason can do this. But he began to interact with this man uh, on Facebook Messenger, and uh, he was telling me a moment ago that he stopped responding to the guy, because uh, it's been several weeks, and he's, he's done his pastoral duty. But he, uh, he stopped responding to the guy, but the guy will not let it go, and just in the last day or two has sent him five more, like, lengthy, lengthy messages. This, this guy's serious. In fact, he mailed Jason four books, four books, and asked Jason to read them, and uh, one of the books that he sent was this book called The Mystic Christ. And here's a quote from The Mystic Christ. Jesus was the Christ, but the Christ is so much more than Jesus. The Christ is never born and the Christ never dies. We are not capable of understanding who Jesus is. Well, so um, that's not accurate, by the way. See, the reason we have the creed is to remind us, to remind ourselves, to remind others that we actually can know who Jesus is, that he has disclosed and made himself known, that, that, that what we believe is not new, it's not novel, that it has biblical roots. And so when we talk about the Apostles' Creed as just a simple uh, stake, it's a stake that we drive into the ground, and we can, we can attach our lines to it so that we're secure. Again, it's not, it's not Scripture. It's not divinely inspired, but it's a summary of the story and the, most, and the parts of that story that are most essential. So that, when, to use the words of Paul, when there are various winds and waves of doctrine, that we're not seduced by that, so that we don't find ourselves in Barnes & Noble picking up this book that looks decent by uh, whoever the author is, the mystic Christ, and reading it, the creed gives us a way of anchoring ourselves to the truth of Scripture that has long been confessed. Three quick thoughts. That's the background. Now, let's, uh, let's get to the sermon. Three real quick thoughts from Deuteronomy 6. What we find both in Deuteronomy 6 this early creedal statement, as well as in the Apostles' Creed, is simplicity. Simplicity. After the Israelites had fled from Egypt, 
after God had given them the law, they needed a simple statement about who God is and what he requires. And so they were given the statement, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was so important because in the midst of the, in the, midst of the polytheistic paganism of the day and coming out of Egypt, the Shema affirmed monotheism. Right? It affirmed what is true. Again, the Shema doesn't say everything about who God is, but it speaks to his essential being, and it was needful for that time. It also speaks to about what faith in God requires. Not only is our God one, but you shall love this God with all your heart, soul, and all your might. And in a similar way, the the Apostles' Creed, it builds upon the monotheism of the Shema, and it affirms that God is, is triune. Our God is not three gods. He's not one God who manifests himself in three different ways. He's one God in three persons, and the creed is very Trinitarian in that way. It affirms the three persons of the Godhead. It begins with God the Father, then transitions to God the Son, and then ends with God the Holy Spirit. Now, the Trinity is not a simple doctrine. The concept of the Trinity is uh, in many ways perplexing, but the way that the Apostles' Creed affirms the triune nature of God is simple. I'm not saying the doctrine of it is simple. I'm saying the way that it it unpacks and unfolds who God is is given uh, simplistically. The creed is is sequential, right? It follows the way that we understand salvation history. God created, and Jesus came and uh, became incarnate and redeemed, and the Holy Spirit came to indwell. And the reason reason it's beautiful in its simplicity is because of what uh, Irenaeus said, that that we need a simple statement, that we need a simple statement so that little children and illiterate barbarians and even oaky Presbyterians can know who God is and what we believe. And so the, the, creed is, the creed is simple and it's beautiful, it's concise, it's memorable. Here's a second thought. Uh, not only do we need the creed for its simplicity, we need it for unity. So the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, it was a unifying statement. It was a unifying practice. Every member of every tribe would recite the Shema daily. And the opening words are unifying words. Hear, O Israel. And faithful Jews remembered and recited those words, and they continue to do so today. And Jesus and Paul and the first Christians were creedal Christians. They were united by faith in one God. And in a similar way, Not an identical way, but a similar way. The Apostles' Creed binds us to other Christians throughout history. So let me paint a picture for you. Um, This will be old hat for those who are in our intro class, but I'll share it with the rest of you. I I want you to imagine three concentric circles. Three, Three concentric circles. So first you have a small circle. That's our church community. And that small circle is inside a medium circle, and that's our confession of faith. And that medium circle is is inside a larger circle, and that's our creed. And the small circle represents the CPC community, this this particular church. We're a 53-year-old church. We've grown, we've evolved over the decades. We have unique qualities and characteristics. We use the language of the three Vs, vision, values, vehicles, Our values are worship, teaching, nurture, reaching. We have these ministry vehicles that we use, Sunday school, small groups, softball teams. Our music is a melting pot of styles that's developed over the years. 
And the CPC community is a particular church at a particular place in a particular time in history, and we have all sorts of peculiarities. Now, beyond our church community, we're bound together with other Reformed churches by our confession. And so the Westminster Confession of Faith, it's a lengthy statement, and it's anything but simple. It, it goes into all sorts of details about what we believe the Bible teaches about all sorts of things. So if you were to visit Trinity in Owasso, or River Oaks down South Tulsa, or Ethos in Midtown, these are all daughter and sister churches, you would find that each of our churches looks and feels a bit different. But we're joined together by our common confession. So our confession, it addresses our view of, of things like baptism. The creed doesn't address baptism. That's the place of the confession. The, the creed doesn't address how we observe the Lord's day. That's the place of the confession. I want you to understand, I am a uh, committed Presbyterian. I subscribe to and I affirm our confession of faith because I believe it, it most accurately teaches what the Bible teaches. But this is so important. We must never divide from other Christians because of our confession and certainly not because of our community. The creed is given for unity, right? It's given so that although we do have differences with our Baptist brothers and our Methodist sisters and our Lutheran neighbor, we, we certainly have uh, secondary differences with them, that this statement is a unifying statement that binds all Christians together. And so community, confession, creed. The creed is what unites us by faith in Christ. It, the creed addresses the essentials. Right? The essentials. Here's a final thought. The creed serves as a reminder that our faith is built on a foundation. Now, now why is a foundation important? Why is a foundation for faith important? Because we're told that faith is... Uh, that faith is for the weak-minded. We're told that faith is a placebo. And if we're not grounded in the faith, and if we're not grounded upon faith, then we may actually begin to believe that. So I mentioned that guy that Jason's been interacting with on Facebook. More, uh, less interaction and more just inundated. Well, this past week he sent Jason a message, and Jason had me read it and then sent it on to me, and now you can... Uh, you can have the joy of listening to it. So this, this man said, You can't disagree with me when all you have is faith. All you can do is say that you don't really know. And I can promise you this, the only way, all caps, to find God is to let go of your beliefs and to let go of your faith. Because if you don't, your faith will hinder your search. Friends, the answer of Scripture is not that we let go of faith, it's that we cling to faith. And the Scripture promises that as we cling, the one who has given us faith is clinging to us. And so we need a, we need a foundation for our faith so that it's built upon something. And we also need reminders of what we believe. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm fairly forgetful. I'm, I'm becoming more and more so. And the world is full of distractions, Jason and I were talking this week about the way that many things in the world seem, seem to work 
um, uh, in the opposed to a permanence. Everything's so temporary. It's full of distractions. And friends, God understands that we need regular reminders of what's true. So in verse 12 in Deuteronomy 6, the people were told, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall not go after other gods. I always found that humorous. How could they possibly forget that it was the Lord who sent the plagues and brought them out of Egypt? Like, how could they possibly forget that? How could they have forgotten God? Because people are forgetful. And sin, and sin separates us from these memories. Because there are myriad distractions and other gods. That's why he says, take care lest you forget the Lord. You shall not go after other gods. He restates this one chapter after the Ten Commandments are given. Don't go after other gods. Because we need reminders of who God is and what we believe. And the opening words of the Apostles' Creed are not just, I I believe this is true. It, they're not just, hey, this is, a, this, is, this is good advice, this is someone's opinion. It's, I believe. I believe. My, my faith has a foundation. I need these reminders for myself. When, when we say that, when we say, I believe, we are, we are conveying to ourselves and to one another, listen, I remember. This is true. This is essential. I have faith that this is the faith. Listen to these words from Michael Byrd. He says, When the Apostles' Creed begins with the words, I believe, it is asking people who recite it to recognize their need to know, to trust, and to belong to something beyond themselves. It's an affirmation of one's needs, needs that cannot be satisfied by anything material, but are met in the faith professed by the speaker. While we have many needs like food, shelter, uh, purpose, and companionship, perhaps our most basic need, the one that is hardwired into our humanity, is to know God. As Augustine famously said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. The strange sense of discontent and deja vu that we experience in a God-haunted world. There are echoes and images of God everywhere and in creation. It's hardwired into us, Romans 1 says, to know the truth, but in our sin to suppress the truth. When we say, I believe in God, We are saying that we have reconnected with the Maker and have found our satisfaction in Him. I believe. We're confessing faith. My prayer, friends, over the next several weeks, that not that you would let go of faith. These are going to be fairly doctrinally oriented sermons. I was I was talking to someone after the sermon last week about the Acts series, and I said I loved it. I loved it because there were passages that were doctrinally laden. There were passages that were um, inspirational and imperative driven. This is what Christians are called to do. There was history. Uh, as we look at the creed, they are going to be fairly doctrinal sermons. We're going to look next week at the doctrine of God's fatherhood and His eternality. Right. The next week, Maker of heaven and earth. Uh, look, the doctrine of creation uh, and, and God's sovereign design, and, and so on and so forth. 
But not that we would look at those things merely with our minds, but that we would say, I believe this. Not that we would let go of faith like this gentleman is, in, is challenging Jason to do, but that we would have an open heart to receive once again the faith that's been handed down for thousands of years to the saints. That's my prayer, and let's make that our prayer right now. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that when we address you, when I address you right now in prayer, that I can, I can greet you as my Father. That, that you uh, have chosen to make yourself known uh, as Father, and you've given us the Son, and we are now indwelt by the Spirit. And Lord, these things that we believe and sort of instinctively know, we're going to confess uh, for the next three months what we believe. Thank you for giving us your word. It alone is our rule for life and for faith. But these simple, these simple statements, these creeds that your people have long confessed, they are ways for us to connect with those who have gone before us. They are anchors for our, our soul. Lord, they are, they are moorings so that when we uh, read things or when we are, are tempted to doubt, Lord, doubt is normal. We should expect there to be doubts that arise, but that we've got something we can turn to. I believe. I believe in a God. And Lord, it's not so much that we long to cling to you, but just once again renew our faith and remind us that you are clinging to us as, as we read earlier in the service from Romans 8. I am sure of this, neither death nor life nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor height nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for those reminders. Thank you for that truth. And so write these truths upon our hearts and, and uh, help us to grow. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.